Good morning, Sterling. I hope you're all doing really well. And just while there are still quite a few moving parts, I'm going to encourage any parents, if you see that your child still has an instrument, uh, if you'll please surrender them to the front of the church, I'd really appreciate that. I'll just give a few moments. See, we've definitely got a few extra musicians here today. Have a bright future at SBC. <laughs> Give us some names, says Matt. So I think one of the most encouraging things that we could possibly take away from that worship service is knowing that the Lord is in the room with us. You know, years come and gone, and New Year's now started, and what we can certainly take away from that worship session is, is that the Lord is here, and the Lord is with us. And what I'm going to be preaching on today is Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3 to 5. And this is a promise that God gives to us that he will pour out his spirit upon us so that we may know that he will be with us. And there are many implications uh, to this. And before we get into the text, uh, I recently read a story about these two guys who were traveling by airplane. And as they were uh, going, the one guy was getting to his seat. He was quite nervous. It's just before takeoff. Might not have uh, traveled by a plane before. So he's looking around anxiously, and he goes and he sits down in his seat, and then he sees that there's a window quite close to him. And so he peers over his neighbor who's in between him and the window, and he leans in to see out the window, and his neighbor looks at him and says, and what are we doing? And he says, well, I'm just checking. There's a few things that you shouldn't say as the plane is about to take off, and I'm just checking is probably right up there. And so not long after that, both of them were just checking out this window to see what they could see. And so he asks the, the anxious guy, he says, so what are we actually checking for? And he says... I'm looking for the stuff that holds us up. And my, my main goal in this message is going to be to point us towards the stuff that holds us up. You know, as um, a person who used to fly planes as a student pilot, I know what lift is on an aircraft, and you can't actually see lift itself, but you see the effects of lift on that aircraft. And you see a plane that is able to gracefully glide through the air because of this principle of lift, yet you don't see lift itself. And in much the same way, when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't look at them and see, oh, there's a bit of a blue aura. No, but you see the effects of God's Holy Spirit poured out upon a person. And that is what we would like for ourselves, what we would like for our church, is for the Holy Spirit to be poured out and for there to be this tremendous growth that we haven't seen before. So, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3 to 5. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass, like willows by flowing streams. And this one will say, I am the Lord's. And another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. My first point for today is that God promises his Holy Spirit. And I'll be focusing on verse 3 for this first point. It says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Whenever we come across a text like this, we need to make sure that we ask ourselves two questions. Firstly, who is the Holy Spirit? And secondly, with what sort of an attitude are we to approach this text? So firstly, the, the question of who the Holy Spirit is. So often when we hear people speak about the Holy Spirit, we hear them refer to him as an it. Now, it is 
quite rude and obnoxious if I were to refer to any one of you as an it. You are beautiful people created in the image of God. And when we come to the Holy Spirit, He is God, and He is a person. He is not some form of abstract power that God merely uses. He is a person. We see that He has characteristics. He has um, character. We are able to quench and to grieve the Holy Spirit. He certainly has power as well. We are told that He is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And we see also that He brings this newness of life that's spoken of in our text. That when there is this dry ground that is busy dying and without any hope, because without water, this ground won't get to a better state, we see that the Holy Spirit comes and He waters and He brings growth, not just for little bits of grass, but entire willow trees begin springing up. He also sanctifies us. He, he helps us to become more like Jesus. It is a big word which just means that He helps us to become more like Jesus. And as somebody who indwells us and lives inside of us, he sees our thoughts. He sees the true motives of our heart. And little by little, he will whittle us away until we look more and more like Jesus. He also carried people along as they wrote scripture. And not only did he write scripture, but he also illuminates scripture for us. He helps us to understand God's word, and then he gives us the power that we need to apply God's word to our life. We're told in Ephesians as well that he is the down payment of our salvation. He is the guarantee that you and I have that we do have fellowship with God, and one day when we die, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will raise us from the dead. It is a beautiful promise. And as much as the Holy Spirit does all of these incredible things for us, we are told that he exalts Jesus. He doesn't come to do all these things to exalt himself. Jesus, when he's speaking about the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse, four, verse 14, sorry, he says, he, the Spirit, will glorify me. When the Spirit is at work, we see that Christ is glorified. And so what it really looks like for a person to be powerfully indwelt by the Holy Spirit is for Christ to be seated on the throne of that person's heart, for them to truly submit to Jesus and to worship Him. And it goes without saying that all of these covenant blessings that I've just mentioned are only available to people who are in a covenant relationship with God. You cannot obtain these things. You cannot obtain the Holy Spirit himself if you are not in a covenant relationship with God. And Romans chapter 8 verse 15 tells us that he is the spirit of adoption. And that's what Matt mentioned in worship, is that if there is anybody here who wants to come into this relationship, the spirit of adoption is waiting for you here today. He will adopt you into God's family. The reason why you'll be saved is not because you are a good person or because you're here on the first Sunday of this year. The reason why you would be saved is because the perfect son of God gave up his life and you are covered by the blood of Jesus. To address our second question, what is our attitude? When we come across a text as deep and as beautiful as this, where there's a promise that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on us, we need to have an attitude of both humility and of hunger towards the things of God. You'll notice that in the text it says that he'll pour out the water on the thirsty ground. We need to understand and we need to be humble enough to admit that we are thirsty. Church, that we need this Holy Spirit more than we could possibly imagine. We need him to, to help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. In fact, apart from the Holy Spirit watering our church, we won't keep on growing. If he doesn't bless this church and if he doesn't bless the word that is preached here and continue to water us, we will stagnate. But thanks be to the Lord that we have seen over the last year that our church has grown both in numbers and in depth. 
And that is evidence to the fact, not that our preaching is phenomenal, but that God loves this church enough to pour out His Spirit on us. That is what is growing this church. And we are also to humble ourselves. We are to, sorry, we are to make sure that we have a hungry spirit after these things that God promises to give us. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us that our earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. Even though their hearts are inclined towards evil, he says that if your child asks you for bread, you won't give them a rock. And if they ask for a fish, you won't give them a snake. And Jesus says, how much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And he's speaking about us reaching out to our heavenly father and saying, will you please give us your Holy Spirit? And he says, yes, the father will answer that prayer. In an attitude of humility and hunger, God the Father will send forth His Holy Spirit and He will fill you up. My second point for today is what are the results of God's work? And we'll be looking at verse 4 for this point. It says, They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. And you, I have to point out that it is the result of God's work that is causing this. Many of us would love to think that the reason why we grow spiritually and we do so many of these incredible things for the Lord is because of what we've done, our spiritual disciplines. But actually, it is the work of God in a believer. And that is why when somebody goes and does something for the Lord, Jesus is glorified. Not me, not anybody else who goes and does it, but Jesus is glorified because he is working through these people. It is not by our strivings. And earlier on in the book of Isaiah, this is made so clear. When God speaks to Isaiah and he shows us that by our strivings, what we manage to earn for ourselves in this relationship with God is we manage to blot ourselves out of this relationship with him. Before the cross, before anything happens, that is what our works would be able to do. Is it would just be sin and waywardness departing from God, but God would act. God would act in such a way that he would redeem people who are not worthy of being redeemed, but because of his incredible love for us, he would redeem us. And so he sends his son, Jesus. And the blood of Christ is strong enough to cleanse the vilest of sinners for all of eternity. You know, before this, what people would have to do is they'd have to draw near year by year, and they would only be covered for that year, and it would be covered by the blood of goats, by the blood of bulls and animals. And yet what you and I have now is that we draw near to Christ and he beckons us to come to him and we are covered by the blood of the perfect son of God. And even once we have now been saved, there is still this inward struggle that takes place. Even though we are saved and for all of eternity we are safe because of what Christ has done for us, we still live in the flesh. And it is so easy for us to fall into various temptations that, that are here in the world. And so we need to make sure that we try our best to fight against these temptations. And 1 Peter 2 verse 11 tells us, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. See, once you are saved, he's still speaking to Christians here. It starts off by saying, Beloved, that would be us. There are still certain things that wage war against our soul. And if you are really honest with yourself, you will know that it is really difficult for you to stand against those temptations. It, it's impossible for you to do it by yourself. We need help in this area because we're so prone to wander away from this God that we love. And there's a beautiful hymn by Robert Robinson that really uh, highlights this struggle that, these, that believers face. 
And it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, so take and seal it with thy spirit from above. See, what we really need once we've been saved is for God to act again and to fill our hearts with his Holy Spirit. We are so prone to wander away from this God that we love and who we know is so good. And so we need his help and we need to ask him to pour out his spirit and to fill us up. What happens next is in verse 4 we are told that they shall spring up like uh, among the grass, like willows by flowing streams. And this is a beautiful image that God gives us of strength, of there being a sense of life that cannot easily be put out. And it's not the first time that God gives us this image either. If we look at Psalm 1, we see that there's the blessed man who meditates on God's law day and night, and he is also like a tree planted by streams of water. We look to Jeremiah 17, verse 8, and we see that there's a guy there who trusts in the Lord. And because of this, he is also like a tree planted by streams of water. It is because of what the Holy Spirit has done in a person's heart. It is because he has melted a person's heart and he has helped us to focus our attention on Jesus that we become like willows planted by streams of water. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself here this morning as well because there are so many temptations to think that there are other reasons why we are growing spiritually. And maybe you find yourself in the same boat as me. What I sometimes do, and I know many other people also sometimes do it, is we think if we just knew more about this Christian from long ago, then we would be strong in our faith just like they were. And so I have certain people that I go to. I love reading about Charles Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards and Deal Moody and A.W. Tozer. And there is some benefit in reading about those guys. But you have to have it settled in your heart. What is really going to bring you growth, what's really going to cause you to be like a willow springing up next to a stream is going to be the Holy Spirit of God. The teaching and the nourishing that he will bring you in your life is going to be infinitely better than anything somebody else here has written. And if you just think about why those guys' lives were so amazing and how they were so close to God, it's because they were relying on the Holy Spirit. There is no teacher better than the Spirit of God himself, and he has been made available to you. Will you listen to him? Will you be thirsty and will you have a humble heart and realize your need for him this morning? My third and final point is that the spirit of adoption welcomes in and he sends out. And we see this in verse 5. It says, this one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. The spirit of the Lord welcomes you in and then he sends you out, but he will never cast you out, and there is a big difference. See, for you to be cast out of a family means that your identity is removed. You are cast out in disgrace, and the Spirit of the Lord does not do that to you. He welcomes you in, he seals you for all of eternity, and then he sends you out with a mission. You are still a child of God. You are still loved by God the Father, but you are sent out on a mission now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you. And we see that the Spirit does not cast people out. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says, In him, speaking about Jesus here, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is good news. 
This is such good news. Let me paint it for you again. What saves you is Jesus Christ himself. His sacrifice on the cross, his perfect life is what saves you. What seals you into God's family? The Spirit of God dwelling within you. In none of these situations is it our behavior. In none of these situations is it our church attendance or our Bible reading or any of these things which save us and seal us into God's family. It is all dependent on what he has done for us. And for that, we can be thankful and grateful. Those things may be really helpful, but they are not what save and seal you into his family. You are so safe because you're placed into the hands of God. You have been indwelt by the Spirit of God, and he seals you into this family. And what's really wonderful to see as well is that people will look to your life, and they will know that there is a difference in you, and they are going to know why. Because when we look to our text, we see that there is a vocal response now that a person's heart has been changed. Why is this person different? Well, he cries out, I am the Lord's. You can mark the fact that when you come face to face with God and he pours his spirit into your heart, there will be a change. There will be a drastic, drastic change. But people will look to you and they will say, why are you different? You can cry out, I am the Lord's. The reason why it is so powerful and the reason why The reason why people's hearts are being melted, why they are inscribing on their hands that they belong to God, is because it is no longer a cold, hard academic fact. The Holy Spirit changes a person's heart, and it is now fully known, and it is believed inside a person, because the Holy Spirit has been at work in them. It's a beautiful thing. What you also notice is that part of God's plan is that there is a ripple effect. God pours out his spirit. People come to know him. They spring up like willows, but he doesn't leave it with just you. God will send you out. God will call you to go and reach these people around you. That's what we see in verse 5. And I didn't pick it up the first time I read through here. But read it carefully. It says, this one will say, I am the Lord's. And then another will call on the name of Jacob. And again, another will write on his hand the Lord's. It seems to paint this beautiful image of somebody who is so uh, changed and transformed by the Spirit of God that they can't help but speak about what he has done in their life. And what is the end result? Another comes to faith, and another comes to faith, and another comes to faith. We have all been called to play our part in this great commission, and God doesn't leave us alone in this. He pours out his Holy Spirit and he sends us out to go and reach this world. And I would go so far as to say that it seems to be a genuine mark of a believer that when they come to faith in Jesus and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they get sent out to their friends to go and tell them about what Jesus has done for them. We see this in Scripture. We see that Levi, who is a tax collector, is one of the first people that Jesus calls to be his disciple. And he knows that his life is about to change drastically. He's about to give away all that he has and follow Jesus. And so what does he do? He invites all of his friends. They have a massive party. They know that his life is about to change, and he wants them to know why. So he invites all of them, and then he invites Jesus. He wants his friends to come and to know Jesus, to know why his life is changing so much. We see this also in the life of the Philippine jailer in the book of Acts. We see that he becomes converted and he's baptized, but he's not baptized alone. 
He has already spoken to his whole family, and they all come to faith in Christ on the same day. And they all go and they repent and they are baptized into God's family. We see this most dramatically in the life of Paul, who is on his way to Damascus to go and imprison and persecute more Christians. He really doesn't like them, but God comes through powerfully. He saves um, Paul, and soon after this happens, we're told in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. This is somebody who hated Christians. At the moment he is saved and the Holy Spirit is poured out into this person, he can't help himself. He goes to the synagogues and he speaks to them and he says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, these people are absolutely sold out for Jesus. Once the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them, they are like willows planted by streams of water. There's a sturdiness to their life and there's a, there's a sense of they will hold nothing back from God. They will give all that they have and they will not belong to somebody else. They will belong to Christ and Christ alone. And as I wrap up this morning, we have to look at this text and we have to ask ourselves, church, are we thirsty for God? Do we have a spirit of hunger and humility in approaching the Spirit of God? Do we want Him to pour His Spirit out on us? We know that there are implications that we'll be called to go and share our faith. But do we want the Spirit of God? And I think our answer should be a resounding yes. We must have the Spirit of God. And we as South Africans have had the, the fortune and misfortune of, of going through a drought. I say misfortune because it's terrible that the farms have been incredibly dry. But the fortune in the fact that when we read this text, we know how severe dry and thirsty ground can be. You know, what's really going to fix a, a piece of grass is not it focusing on itself to send down deep roots, to slowly rely on its strength to try and fix itself. If the rain doesn't come, that grass is dead, my friends. It has no hope. What time has shown us is actually that grass that doesn't get watered over time becomes harder and more brittle until eventually you can hear it and feel it as you walk over it, it crunches. Let that not be us. Let us have the humility to admit that we need this Holy Spirit of God. And let us look at this promise of God, not as a New Year's resolution that might last about a week. Let us look at this promise of God and say every single day, I need you, Lord. I need you. I need you inside me. I need you to mold me and transform me. I need you to change my heart here. My final charge for us today would have to come from verse 5. And just a reminder, it says, this one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. If you find yourself in a place this morning where your faith and your trust is in Jesus, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, know that the next step is that God will send you out. And even as I'm preaching here this morning, you may find that the Holy Spirit is laying somebody on your heart, on your mind, to get hold of to maybe go and have that cup of coffee, to drop them a message, and to reach out to them and tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. You'll be amazed at what just a little bit of childlike obedience and faith would do in the life of somebody else. They could come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And very soon, we'll have more and more people crying out, I am the Lord's. Let us hold on to Christ this year. Let us daily cry out that we must be filled with his Holy Spirit if we are going to do this, this Christian walk well and if we're going to get through this year properly. Let us pray.
Lord, you are the most valuable thing that there is. And we thank you for making yourself so available to us. We thank you that you saved us because of your incredible love for us, but you didn't just leave us saved, Lord. You sealed us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that is the greatest gift that we could possibly have, is your Son on the cross paying for the price of our sins and your Spirit indwelling us. Lord, we thank you this morning. And Lord, I pray for this congregation that we would all have a hunger for you and for the things that you have for us. Lord, that we would have the humility to admit that we need you, that we are far from perfect, that life can be really difficult and tough and harsh, but you are so good to us, Lord. And your spirit fills us and you've promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you would help each one of us to constantly cry out for more of your spirit and to submit our lives fully and wholly to you. May we cry out this year, I am the Lord's. May people come to know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do believe that that is the end of the service and that there is not a, a moment of response for worship afterwards. But I'm going to encourage you guys, if you'd like to stay and fellowship under the tent, you're more than welcome. No? If you want to stay under what you said, we'll stay a little bit. Okay. Wonderful. Matt says that there, there will be a little bit of a response time. Um, I'll be waiting at the front here. I believe Joe is also floating around helping. And Matt is here. If any of you would like to come and speak to us, please, we would love to speak to you. Have a wonderful day. Matt, over to you. So if you need to leave, you are welcome to do so. Um, the service is officially done, but I think one of the things that really struck me when Bryce was preaching was... Um, to check in this morning and go, you know what, this year, Lord, I want to depend on you more than I did last year. And for the believer who's wanting to grow in the Lord, that's the right response, is to say, Lord, I need more of you. Um, and so if you want to take a moment and just respond, we're going to sing um, a song. Um, but if you want to go, you're welcome to. But we thought we'd just blur this uh, end stage of the service for those that just want to express now before the craziness of outside there starts pressing in. Um, and uh, so... Let's do that now. If you want to stay, or let's stand together, and let's worship. If you need to go, please feel free to do so. Lord, we want to be a people dependent on you this morning. We're grateful, Lord, that Christ is sufficient for all things and that, Lord, we have fellowship with you, Jesus, through the Spirit this morning. You give us Christ, and, Lord, we want to ask that this year we would be a people that are more dependent, more unwilling to go further in leanness than ever before. We want to be a people that are full of a desire and a dependency on you. So waiting here for you, with our hands lifted high in praise, and it's you we adore, singing hallelujah. You are everything you promised. 
You are everything you've promised. Your faithfulness is true. And we're desperate for your presence. All we need is you. Let's be our cry this year, Jesus. We're waiting here for you. this morning as we go from this place there be a hunger Lord that would honor you a hunger Lord that won't lead us leave us just going back to what we did last year but Lord to make us hungry for more of you Jesus and we pray your blessing over this year from our children Lord to the oldest we ask it will be a year of fruitfulness and a year of growth not just for us Lord but for salvations so God here we are we just stand on the the cusp of this year, we want to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Would you take our lives, Lord? Would you change us from one degree of glory to the next? And Lord, we ask that as we look back after this year, we would see your blessing in every area. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.